0: All right, so since it's the uh, last Sunday of the year, I thought we would do something a little bit different as we look toward the new year. Obviously, the Psalms have been comforting and encouraging to a number of people uh, uh, throughout the history of Israel and the Church. And I think they're even more helpful when we understand some of the things about the different types of Psalms that we find in the Book of Psalms. And so we're going to be continuing our study through the book on Wednesday night. So I thought it would be helpful for us to pause and do a little bit of a review, maybe a little bit of thinking about some things that you haven't thought about in detail before with regard to the different types of psalms. And uh, to give proper credit, uh, a good bit of this is adapted from some notes of a class I took on uh, the poetic books with Dr. McCabe down at the seminary in Allen Park. First of all, why are they called psalms? Well. And the Hebrew text is called Tehillim or praises and when the Old Testament was translated into Greek in the Septuagint the word they used was psalmoi which now has been shortened to psalms and who wrote them Uh, the Psalms had multiple authors some of them are indicated uh, as Psalms of David Psalm 23 for example is a well known one of these Uh, David wrote much of the first book of the Psalms. We'll talk more about the five books in a moment. Uh, Psalm 90 is uh, listed as a Psalm of Moses. Uh, And then Psalm 137 seems to have been written after the Babylonian exile. So the time span from Moses to after the exile would have been roughly a thousand years. And so uh, it is a a book of praises to God that was uh, collected over a long period of time. And that might make us uncomfortable to think about that sort of idea in terms of um, what if somebody got it wrong, what if they included one they shouldn't have included. But I think as you read through the Psalms, you see the unity of themes, of um, style, of reverence for God, a consistent testimony of what God is like that very much fits with the rest of Scripture. And so there doesn't seem to be any good reason to think, um, obviously, coming uh, there doesn't seem to be any good reason to think that there is any kind of error in which psalms were included. And certainly, given our understanding of God's directing of the process of inspiration and canonization, we would see that uh, what we have before us are God's words that we ought to pay attention to. How then should the book of Psalms be organized? Well, in many Bibles, there is a heading like book 1, book 2, and so forth. The Psalms are collected into five books within the larger book. Book 1 is Psalm 1 through 41. Book 2 is Psalm 42 to 72. Book 3 is Psalm 73 to 89. Uh, Book 4 is 90 to 106. And then book 5 is 107 to 150. Um, and if you didn't catch all those, I'd be glad. Just let me know, and I'd be glad to, to uh, give those to you. Although uh, most Bibles also have them marked. I'm just going to uh, glance here. Mine, mine does have that marked there. Uh, the dividers between the different sections are uh, dot, th- these doxologies or statements of praise to God. So if you turn, for example, to Psalm 41 and verse 13. It says there in verse 13, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. You'll see a similar sort of phrase at the end of Psalm 72. I'll just read that for you. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So very similar wording there. And then again, in Psalm 89, verse 52, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Psalm 106, verse 48, says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting, even everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And then, book 5 ends with Psalm 150, which in its entirety is a statement of praise to God, with statements like, Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Which then I think also uh, is an appropriate place for us to think about the headings that we see at the tops of the Psalms. Were the headings part of the original text? And I think most conservative scholars, and I think this is a, a reasonable position to take, would say that the headings themselves are not inspired, but they are historically accurate. In other words, if it was ever to be notice that there was some sort of conflict between the heading and the text of the psalm, we would side with the text of the psalm because that was what was originally inspired as it was given. The heading is accurate historical information that was added by um, devout scribes fairly early on in the history of the collection of the psalms. And so um, what impact does it have if we, for example, did not have the headings? Well. Uh, On the one hand, it would lead to less confusion, because there are statements in the uh, headings that we are not certain about. For example, Psalm 42, just because I happen to have that opened there, says, That is a maskil of the sons of Korah. Why don't they translate that word? Because I'm not entirely sure what it means. Uh, It appears to be an indication of uh, musical notation. Um, And the Sons of Korah were certainly those who were involved with worship in the temple. But beyond that, we don't know specifically what some of these terms are. Uh, Another of the terms that occurs actually within the text, so we should ponder what it means a little bit more, would be this word Selah, which seems to be a sort of a pause, and intermission between verses of a particular psalm. Um, But my point is simply that even if we did not have the titles understanding that clearly the bible indicates that david and solomon both wrote songs or psalms of praise to god would have a reasonable understanding that those were from god Yes. right and there's i think at least two or three different possibilities um, so, uh, again, I think we would recognize that it is a, um, not that it has no significance for the text, but that it is indicating something of pause, pronunciation, something along those lines as opposed to, um, it doesn't seem to be largely affecting the meaning of a particular phrase other than perhaps for emphasis as, as you are saying there. So. Um, but so we see some of these unfamiliar words in the Psalms. And the main point that I'm trying to make is that the ones that are in the titles seem to be connected with how the song was to be sung, uh, or who it was for, or perhaps who wrote it. But even apart from that information, there, is, there are parallels between the Psalms and certain sections of scripture that would also give us some hints as to who authored them. Why are they grouped the way that they are grouped? Clearly, they are grouped according to these five books, and I think we certainly don't want to lose sight of that. But uh, there is also the possibility of looking at them in terms of their author, David, Moses, and so on. We could consider how a particular psalm would have been used during the Jewish calendar and celebrating various feasts or we could analyze the form of a psalm and look for similarities in structure. What are some of the advantages or disadvantages of these methods? Grouping by author is an option, but is not helpful in the same way that a a topical collection would be per se. And I realize the psalms are not primarily about us. They are about God. And yet there is value for us in them. And so we should should think through some of these things. Secondly, determining the way a particular psalm might have been used in the Jewish calendar is also challenging, or even the exact historical situation in which it was composed. Many of them, I think, are intentionally generic or vague so that they have a broader use than just the individual circumstance of the person who composed it or who is going through that particular time. For example, um, the fact that we see a word like my enemy or enemies, as opposed to Goliath or Absalom, means that instead of necessarily focusing on all of the historical details of that situation, we can instead say, what does this say about God generally? On the other hand, there are certainly certain psalms where there is a clear connection between those historical events in the psalm, uh, psalm 3 verses uh, 2 Samuel 15 to 18, where it is David versus Absalom. It seems pretty clear that that is the enemy that is in mind, and it, it, it lends better understanding to some degree to both of those situations. Examining the form, I think, can be helpful with one major um, hesitation or disclaimer. Unlike many recent scholars, when we see a psalm that claims to be written by David, we would accept him as the author. We wouldn't look at the phrases and say, uh, this psalm doesn't appear to be a psalm of David because of some difference in the style or the structure or those sorts of things. For one thing, that's a little bit of a short-sighted sort of argument because if we say the same person has to write the same, time, same way in every instance, that doesn't allow for variations due to emotional state uh circumstances um age all of those sorts of things no author is exactly the same in everything that they write and to put that sort of an unrealistic standard on authors and say if we don't see all the same characteristics in everything that this author wrote it's not by that author is a little bit of a of a simplistic argument i think furthermore a lot of the times the reason that those sorts of things are raised are because the person is coming from a perspective that says, these are not authoritative from God. These are just randomly picked out of a hat and they all got thrown together. And so we've got to sort of unravel the ball of yarn and figure out which one came from what oral tradition. And and that's clearly not where we're coming from. What I want us to do though is to look at the genre not because the structure that we find in the Psalms is unimportant the book 1, two, 3, 4, and 5 but because I think it helps us to understand different themes within those individual books. Not every Psalm is the same in terms of tone, in terms of emphasis although all of them certainly point to God and so I think that these Uh, genres or categories are helpful at looking at some of the different types of Psalms. They are descriptive and uninspired. So I say that at the outset to say these are descriptive. They're people's observations about the text. I think they accurately reflect the text but they don't if someone says we're not going to consider that we're just going to read through the structure of the book. There's nothing wrong with that certainly I think that this is a helpful tool. They're not inspired because these are categories the different theologians and scholars have developed over time. Before we get to them, one last note on poetry. Poetry involves figures of speech, things like personification. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens don't have a mouth, they don't speak, and yet they do speak, right? Uh, Or simile and metaphor. The mountains skipped like rams. O Lord, you are my fortress. Simile is a comparison in english involving the word like or as metaphor is just stated this thing is this thing by way of drawing a comparison symbolism we also see this one thing stands for another the cords of death encompass me the cords of death is a uh, this idea of a rope binding him uh, dragging him down and that symbolizes the trouble and the difficulty that the psalmist is facing poetry also involves structure let me start with an example from English. First, uh, English largely involves meter, the pattern of sounds, and also rhyme, whether words match up at the ends of them or in the middle. Uh, here's two examples. First, there's a poem by a guy named Ezra Pound. The apparition of the faces in a crowd Petals on a wet black bough." Supposed to sound like a train coming into the station, right? The apparition of the faces in a crowd petals on a wet, black bough. So that's an example of poetry in English. Uh, a little less serious poem, but one I think helps illustrate the idea of rhyming. A panther is like a leopard, except it hasn't been peppered. Should you behold a panther crouch, prepare to say, ouch. Better yet, if called by a panther, don't answer. This illustrates the emphasis on rhyming words in English to the extent that we're willing to alter the word just to make it rhyme. Hebrew poetry is a little bit different. Instead of focusing on stress and meter or rhyming words, Hebrew poetry is largely structured through parallelism. There are three main kinds of parallelism. There's a lot of subcategories, but the three main ones would be the same ideas repeated in a synonymous way. For example, Psalm 117 and verse 1, Praise the Lord all nations, laud Him all peoples. Same idea, right? Different words, same idea. Or a contrasting idea. Psalm 115 and verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So it's not to us, it's to God's name that glory ought to come. And that one perhaps has a little bit of the next category, which is where one idea builds upon another. Another. Psalm 3 and verse 5, I lay down and slept, I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. There's this development where the second phrase or the third phrase builds upon the first part. There's a lot more that could be said about poetry, but I think those are some of the important basics. Six categories of psalms that we will look at briefly. I have, uh, in my non-exhaustive study of these things, there are people who will say that there are anywhere from 5 to 15-plus categories of psalms, and uh, my take on it is 5 or 6 is manageable, 15 is uh, leaning towards splitting hairs and being unhelpful at that point, point. and so I think that these 6 are useful. Lament is the first one. This seems to be set in the context of enduring trials response to some sort of conflict or difficulty and we'll sort of go through these in the in the handout that you have there Uh, secondly would be thanksgiving which is sort of the looking back after the trial and uh, rejoicing in God's deliverance then we have praise hymns which are less about a specific circumstance in which the psalmist finds himself and more about praising God for his character and his works Then we have songs of trust, which are just statements of confidence in God. Then there are royal or covenantal psalms, uh, which express God's covenant faithfulness to his people and king. This perhaps could be a subset of either the praise hymns or the songs of trust, but it is significant enough in its connection with Jesus that I think it deserves its own category. And then, wisdom or law, instruction about righteousness. We see a lot of parallels between these sorts of psalms and what we see in Proverbs, for example. So, uh, we'll look at the pattern, a couple of examples of each as we have time, and then uh, you'll have this for future reference. So, we'll start out with lament. So, turn to Psalm uh, 13 and Psalm 12, which should be right near each other there in your Bible. if we looked at the structure within the psalm itself we would see despair and then a prayer to God and then an expression of trust at the end. Not every psalm follows this pattern rigidly but this is what we generally observe. As I said before the context is a response to some conflict or difficulty so let's start with Psalm 12 which would be a national example. Help Lord for the godly man ceases to be so what's the statement of difficulty that we see at this point there's no godly men um, there's no honesty as well verse 2 there's a uh, this uh, focus on deceit okay and then where's the prayer do you see a prayer here what's that okay how do you know that that's prayer Okay, right. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips in verse 3. And then, uh, what do we see with regards to a statement of trust? Okay. Does everyone agree with verse 7? Anyone see it in a different spot? Yeah, if you could argue either 6 or 7, I think. But both of those sort of build to this expression of, of trust that is uh, summed up well in verse 7. God will keep them. God will preserve him. Um, probably him being the leader of the people, them being God's people collectively. So, we see all of these characteristics. Uh, common words or phrases. Uh, one would be help. Do we see the word help? Yep, that's how it starts out. Um, do we see this idea of uh, forgetting? Not so much in this one, I think, but certainly implied. Um, do we see the word uh, enemy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, when I say common words and phrases, it, it, you'll see synonyms, you'll see those ideas. You won't always see that exact word, and it'll vary according to translation, according to a specific psalm. A uh, few notes. The enemy is usually vague. Sometimes it's identified by the heading of the psalm, but even so, it has a broader application. And also, I think it's important that we are not too quick to make the enemy physical sickness when the enemy is a specific person. I think here's the difference. We could say God who helps his people against their enemies also, by way of application, is the same God who gives strength in all so- sorts of trials. But that would be a difference between what the meaning of the text is and what an application of the text would be. So I think that's important for us to remember. Uh, Psalm 13 would be an individual example. So, uh, going to our common words that we look for, do we see any of our common words? Yeah, yeah. We see how long it's repeated several times here. One, two, three, four, four times. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, the statement of difficulty is: Will you forget? Will you hide? Will I have sorrow? Will my enemy be exalted? And then where's the prayer? Okay. Yeah. Vindicate, uh, consider an answer, um, uh, connect with that, enlighten my eyes. And it's interesting that the prayer gives a reason for why God should answer the prayer. Verse 4, because if God doesn't help, my enemy will say, I have overcome him, my adversaries will rejoice. And then what's the statement of trust? Yeah. trusted. And then sort of a response to that or an evidence of that would be verse 6, I will sing to the Lord. And so we see a number of laments throughout the book of Psalms. I don't have an exhaustive list here, and there's going to be a little bit of variety in how different people classify the Psalms, but there are a lot of laments, particularly in the first part of psalms, and so I think it's an important category for us to understand. Uh, Let's go to a psalm of thanksgiving. Uh, Psalm 32 would be an individual statement of thanksgiving. We usually think of this psalm as paired with um, what other psalm? What's that? Uh, to some extent, Psalm uh, Psalm fifty one. These are t- David's two psalms with regards to his sin with Bathsheba. Yeah, and um, some people see uh, verse thirty or Psalm thirty two as more of a a uh, general statement. Uh, you know, Psalm fifty one would be uh, my specific experience of repentance, and Psalm thirty two would be everyone's but it still has somewhat of an individual flavor to it so you know if you wanted to say psalm 32 is also a national then yes but it would be two different sorts of deliverances uh psalm 32 deliverance from sin psalm 124 would be deliverance in battle help and so forth along those lines so uh generally it's just a thanksgiving for answered prayer i've prayed to god and he's answered my prayer. Um, so for example in Psalm 32 we see what what does the prayer seem to be? Yeah, where where do we see the 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 asking for forgiveness? Mhm. I think verse 5 is where the actual statement of prayer is. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not hide my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions. You forgave the guilt of my sin. So he starts out with this statement of blessed for forgiveness. And then he sort of goes back to saying what the situation was, his prayer, and then sort of makes an application to it in the later part of the psalm. Um, what are some of, the, some of the words we see we see also this idea of help, but the help is somewhat different. I don't think we see help in this one so much as we will in, the, uh, in Psalm 124. Uh, but we do definitely see this idea of hearing my prayer, uh, this idea of the need to pray, this idea of being delivered or forgiven. Um, and certainly that's described in the, some of the poetic language in verses 6 and 7. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. God is delivering. God is, is helping in that sort of situation. Uh, there's a little more variety in the words that we see of these types of psalms, but they seem to be connected with, some instance, a prayer. God has answered that prayer. Turn over to Psalm 124. I think we'll, we'll see it here as well. Do we see any of our words or ideas here in Psalm 124? Okay. Good. Okay. Mm I think the prayer is more implied here. Uh, There are instances in Israel's history where it's very specifically stated that they cried out for help in the book of Judges. They sinned, the people cried out to the Lord, God delivered them. There's other examples where God simply delivered his people because they were his people, whether or not they had actually called on him in prayer, Um, although typically there is at least someone in the nation calling out, interceding, asking for God's help. I mean, even the Israelites being uh, delivered from Egypt, it it says the sound of their groaning had ascended to the Lord, and he heard their cry, you know, those sorts of things, so... um, so, again, it's not a rigid structure. We don't always see every detail laid out in a, in a neat uh, way, but we see certainly the similar ideas. Uh, thirdly, a praise hymn. Um, since we're going to be turning back, let's start in Psalm 66, the middle one there. Now, is there overlap between thanksgiving and praise him? There is to some degree, and so uh, there's not always a clear-cut division between all these categories, but I think there's enough distinctions between them that they're still helpful to consider. Uh, Some of the things that we'll see here, we'll see a call to praise, we'll see the praise to God, and then we'll see a, a resolution toward the end of Psalm So, for Psalm 66, the call to praise would be shout joyfully to God, all the earth, come and see the works of God. There's actually several of them. um, Shout joyfully to God, verse 1. Come and see the works of God, verse 5. Bless our God, O peoples, verse 8. And perhaps even verse 16. Come and hear, all who fear God. But then we also see the specific statements of praise. Say to God, how awesome are your works, verse 3. Verse 4, all the earth will worship you. Uh, Following the call to praise in verse 5, we see verses 6 and 7, he turned the sea into dry land. Verse 7, he rules by his might forever. And then verse 8 is followed by who keeps us in life. You have tried us, O God, Um, uh, carried us through all this affliction. We will make offering. Uh, And then I will tell what he has done for my soul. And then verse 20 is sort of the resolution or the summing up of everything. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. So some of these words we would see uh, glory, majesty, splendor. We would see God's name. We would see this idea of shout and sing. I see this idea of let us praise, fearing God or the Lord, and this idea of blessing. Do we see any of those words in this particular psalm? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think what we'll see is the calls to praise will be very similar. The specific things that we praise God about will be somewhat different from, from psalm to psalm. Um, I'll flip over to Psalm 33 briefly. We can look at another example. Look for uh, in some of our words here. Okay, this is sing several times. There's a quick comment there on verse 12. That's not talking about the United States as much as people like to put it on cards and at the headings of stationery. It is, in fact, referring to Israel. I think it does have application to our nation to the extent that a nation does not follow God. There is certainly no guarantee of God's favor or blessing on that, on that nation. But it would also you know, be helpful for us to observe that God never promised to bless the United States in the way that he did promise to bless Israel that being said um, there is perhaps an application when we consider the new testament and um, draw parallels although not exact connections between just as god helped the israelites in the old testament god also has chosen his people in the new testament and they are blessed because their god is the lord but again the difference being It was because Israel was the nation, and yet the church is made up of many nations, according to Revelation 5.9. So, uh, just a little aside there. Um, The resolution here, I think, would come to verse 22, maybe a few verses before that. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you you can certainly look at Psalm 8 as well uh, later on. So let's go to now this idea of the songs of trust. Uh, Turn to Psalm uh, let's go to Psalm 23 It starts out with a confident expression of trust in God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And sometimes when uh, sometimes we read that and we say, God is the shepherd that I don't want. But I don't think that that's really the sense that it's getting at. I think it's saying, as long as God is my shepherd, I won't want, I won't be in need. I have help and strength in times of difficulty. Uh, and it starts out talking about God's provision. Verses 2 and 3, and then it goes to this idea of the conflict in the middle of the psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so there's this idea of provision and protection and help even in the face of difficulty. Um, Without drawing an unwarranted connection between David's own experience and this particular psalm, I think it's fascinating to consider a shepherd who is being shepherded by God, such that he's fed from God's temple while he's running from Saul, Saul, who is trying to kill him. God prepares a table for him in the presence of his enemies. When he's in the valley of the shadow of the death, hiding in caves, when they're all about to capture him, God delivers him. I think that thinking about David's life in connection with this psalm, certainly has value, although David is just making a broader observation about God being his shepherd. Um, Some of the common words we see are this idea of refuge, uh, mountain, rock, fortress, and so forth. Uh, Turn over to Psalm 11. I think maybe we'll see some of those things. So look for some of these uh, common words here in Psalm 11. Certainly we see the enemies in verses 2 and 3, right? Possibly second half of verse 1 also. Right. So we have certainly generally this idea of God preserving his people. And even in verse 6 when it says, upon the wicked he will rain snares, I think we have to recognize when God punishes the wicked, the necessary result of that is that the righteous are delivered. So. Now, again... These are not absolute categories, but if nothing else, if they help us look for some of those key phrases, I think that in and of itself helps us understand these psalms better. Turn over to Psalm 18. Just a few pages over. These are concerns with the covenant relationship of God with Israel or with her king. So we will see, for example, um, the psalm ends in verse 50 saying he gives great deliverance to his king. And shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David, and to his descendants forever. And so certainly we see that there is this idea of deliverance specifically for God's people. Uh, We also see words like rewarded, recompensed, or vindicated. We see verse 20. He rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me same thing in verse 24 the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hand in his eyes Um, we have this idea of the nations or the enemies opposing Um, God is angry he comes against those who are opposing his people uh, torrents of ungodliness is probably the closest parallel to this idea of the nations or the enemies surrounding. And um, if we look at, do um, see verse thirty-five, the shield of your salvation. Verse thirty-seven, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. Verse forty-three, you have delivered me from the contentions of the people. You've placed me as head of the nations of people who I've not known serve me. So there's this idea as we look through this psalm, even though the wording varies somewhat, God has appointed his king, God has appointed his people, and okay. God has appointed his king, God has appointed his people, others rise up in opposition to them, God casts them down and upholds his anointed. he upholds his people. Specifically, that's clearly seen in the person of Christ, but we even see anticipation of that in the life of David. Uh, We're going to go to Psalm 1 for the next one because we don't have time to go through Psalm 119, although I'd encourage you to look at it sometime. These Psalms emphasize God's law, They emphasize the blessing of righteousness versus wickedness. That's a theme all throughout the book of Proverbs. There's a way that leads to destruction. There's a way that leads to blessing, the way of the fool, the way of the wise. And so we certainly see those sorts of ideas here in Psalm 1. So common words that we see would be the righteous versus the wicked. We see God's law. We see things like blessed, meditate, word, word of truth. And then a whole bunch of synonyms referring to what God has spoken. Precepts, ordinances, statutes, judgments, commandments. So let's start in Psalm 1, verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. We see a contrast between two ways. I think we do. And what's the basis of that contrast? The basis is allegiance to or rejection of God's law. And then that's illustrated certainly by these uh, pictures. The tree planted by water the chaff that the wind blows away after the harvest. Now, obviously, well, perhaps not obviously, but something to consider would be that these observations are not promises per se in every instance. The Proverbs are uh, general statements of what it looks like to follow God and the blessings that follow. Certainly, there can be uh, other examples Certainly there can be other examples of um, what happens, the story of Job being a specific instance where you have someone who is following God and yet does not seem to experience God's blessing and yet is clearly aware of God's law and following God's law and all of those sorts of things. And so uh, again, these are not promises per se. but they are saying, generally speaking, particularly for the nation of Israel, those who followed God, this is what their lives looked like. Those who didn't follow God, this is what their lives looked like. And the book of Ecclesiastes is a reflection on the exceptions to that, even in uh, time shortly after David in the time of Solomon. So to sum up all these things, the Psalms provide rich insight into God's character and His works, and I hopefully that you will continue to be encouraged as we study these on Wednesday nights. How do they help us today? Obviously, they're praises. They point us to God's character. But they were written in a time and a context for people different than us with many dissimilarities from our daily experience. That being said, I think when someone needs encouragement, sharing with them a song of trust or a praise psalm can be... Helpful when they are facing the trial and in the deep of it crying out with them to God in the words of the lament and Praying the words of that psalm to God and considering the parallels between that circumstance and the experience of David and God's people in the Old Testament I think helps us to see God hears our prayer God answers our prayer God can and does help in times of difficulty when we're uncertain about the ups and downs of life, looking at the Psalms that talk about God's covenant promises to His people, I think reminds us that the things that happen in our lives are not accidents, that God oversees and works in all of them. And so I think that we can use these praises, these Psalms to God well, even in our Christian lives, though they were written long ago. Let's close with the word of prayer. Lord, as we've done a very brief survey of some of these truths from Your Word, I trust that it will be helpful for us as we uh, look to be impacted by Your Word, to use Your Word carefully and effectively, accurately, in a way that brings honor to You and help to our souls. We pray that You bless the service to follow. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.